a series right now on family. We're in the middle of a five-week series on family, and we are calling it Awkward Family because family is awkward. Family's tough. Family is difficult. And so as we say awkward family, of course, that reminds us of those awkward family photos that you can find online. Because sometimes, you know, like you want to say, hey, here's our family, but you also want to say, we love Kiss. What is going on here? Now, actually, I think this is brilliant. Because what if one of your kids has a soccer game during the family photo shoot? Doesn't matter. You get another kid of a similar size and shape cover. You can't tell. You don't know whose kid that is, right? And that was taken before Photoshop. So that's just brilliant. That's good thinking right there. That is awesome. Family is awkward. What we've done already is we have covered childhood. We've covered singlehood. In the next two weeks, we will cover marriage and then parenthood. So right now, we are in between singlehood and marriage, which means we are going to talk about dating. Awesome. Because dating, dating can be awkward as well. You don't believe me? Watch this. Work it, man. Come on. There you go. This is one of my favorite videos. I could really watch this dude all day long. That, that guy gets an A for effort. If you think about it, he is not a bad dancer for a middle school kid. And he is swinging for the fences. And, and watch her. Watch her. She is having none of it. Nope. Nothing. Nothing here. Oh, my goodness. I absolutely love that. Look, dating can be awkward, can it? It can be awkward. Hey, tell you what, let me explain one of the reasons why I think dating is often awkward, and it's because as a culture, we are adrift in this area. Let me explain that. Our modern concept of dating is less than 100 years old. Now, in the scheme of human history, that is a short timer. That's a Johnny-come-lately, okay? And so it is a really new thing. Back in the day, of course, it was arranged marriages. Some cultures still do that today, but that was the way it was back then. Then that gave way for a long, long time to the concept of courtship. I don't know how you feel about courtship, but I'll tell you this. At least there were cultural norms. We knew what was expected. We knew what the roles were, what the rules were. We knew what to do. But courtship has given way now to our modern concept of dating in which there are no cultural norms. There are no rules and roles and expectations and and nobody teaches their kids how to date. And so our understanding of dating is being made up in the middle school cafeteria. That's where it comes from. And are you kidding me? So, So look, sometimes as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to be counter-cultural. Do not just uncritically accept the expectations and systems of this world. We need to examine those and be countercultural. But we have a problem. When we go to do that, we look to our scriptures. And our scriptures, you know what they say about dating? Nothing. There's not about why? Because back then it was all arranged marriages. There was no dating. There's nothing to talk about. 
And so what do you do when there is no passage? Then you turn to the passage that covers everything. And so we turn to Matthew chapter 22. What happens is uh, when Jesus was walking around, a lot of people would come up to him, ask him questions, trying to trick him, trap him. And here's one of them. One guy says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, when Jesus says all the law and the prophets, that is Bible code for like the whole scriptures. He's saying uh, all the commands, all the things God asks us of, uh, of us in all the scriptures, you can sum them up in two. Love God, love people. That's it. If you do those without fail, you will never sin. It's all summed up in love God and love people. And therefore, if we run our understanding of dating through the grid of love God and love people, we should be in good shape. There's our passage. There it is. But if we're honest, dating is usually about me and what I want and my tastes and my preferences and what I can get from another person, and God has nothing to do with it. So we start at a difficult place in this discussion. Maybe that is why dating is awkward. So here's what I want to do today. We're going to talk about dating. I'm going to talk about why, who, and how. That is brilliant. I have no idea how I come up with this stuff. (laughs) That is so simplistic, but that's what we're going to work through, okay? Not so clever, but we're going to start out with why. Why dating? Look, I just told you, love God, love people. Let's start there. If you are loving God, then remember last week when I talked about singlehood, where you are supposed to be fulfilled in Christ, to live for the eternal and be content in your stage. That's all about loving God. God is enough for you. And if you do that, think how that would impact your dating life. So to that end, I want to share with you another passage. This comes out of Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. Look at this, if you will. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is not said to a date. Okay, That is said to God himself. And what we're saying there is, God, you complete me. You fulfill me. You're all, I love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all of me. Therefore, I'm in a position of strength. I'm not needy. I'm already topped off. I've got all I need in this life from God himself. Now I can approach somebody else to give. Not to take, but to give, to love. So that rolls over then into the second great commandment, which is to love another person. All right, think about this in the area of dating. Every dating relationship ends one way or another. It either ends in breakup or it ends at the marriage altar. Okay? And so what if, what if you dated in such a way that no matter how this dating relationship ends, that other person is blessed. They feel loved. They feel given to. You feel that like that is loving another person. That's what we want to do. Love God, love people. 
Now, I still have not answered why. Why dating? What is the purpose of dating? And this, uh, I want to share with you something that we locked in very early on in the McKee household. Watch this. Maddie, speak real loud and clear and tell me, what's the new rule? Good girl. Amen. So I, I had four, I looked down the road, right? Because you got to lock this stuff in before they even know what they're talking about, right? And, and so I, I tricked my little girl into that one. I got video evidence. Oh, man, you got to do that. You, you need that, right? And yeah, that didn't last. No dating till I'm 25. That did not last. Uh, she's 16 and she's allowed to date at this point, but only recently. And here's why. Be- because... She is 16, which means she could meet a guy and date him for two years and then get married at 18. Marriage is now within reach. Therefore, dating makes sense. The aim of dating is marriage. If marriage is not even within reach, if it's not on the horizon, then there is absolutely no point to dating. That's not true. Let me correct myself. Uh, There is the 3D version of dating, and here it is right here. Drama distraction and depravity. That's what dating offers you if marriage is not the aim. So I would say to you, if that, if those three right there, if that sums up your dating life, then perhaps you need to re-examine the why, the who, and the how of dating. Maybe you have uncritically accepted the wisdom of middle schoolers on how you should date. Maybe that's what's going on there. I told you that singlehood is the pursuit of the Lord himself. What dating is then, that is when you are evaluating if me and her, me and him, if you should should be together pursuing the Lord in marriage. That's what what it's for. That's the why. If you don't have that in mind, then what you'll end up is with drama, distraction, and depravity. And that's not what you want, okay? All right, that's the why of dating. Now what I want to do is talk about the who of dating. Who should you date? And the first point is to say, uh, let's talk about a soulmate, right? Because what you're, you're supposed to find, you're supposed to look for your soulmate, right? Wrong. Absolutely wrong. No. Why, what am I saying here? Look, the soulmate thing is not in the Bible. You will not find that in the Bible. You know where the soulmate idea comes from? Plato. A non-Christian philosopher, that's who made that stuff up. That is not in the Bible. And so let me talk about arranged marriage. Now, within our Western culture, we tend to look down upon the idea of arranged marriage. Some cultures still practice it, and we think that's ridiculous. Did you know that they have one-tenth of the divorce rate that we have? Did you know that studies show that they tend to grow in love over time? Our marriages tend to shrink in love over time. What's going on? I thought we were choosing our soulmates. We get to choose the perfect person for us. Shouldn't we have less divorce? Shouldn't we have happier marriages? What is going on? It's because the whole idea of a soulmate is a sham. Let me explain that to you. There's two problems with the soulmate idea. Number one is math. Weren't you hoping I'd do math with you today? I know, I know. Okay, so let's do some math, right? So one study, some mathematicians decided to have fun with this, and they figured out, like, when you, the idea of a soulmate is you are born, and there is someone on the globe that is your corresponding exact fit soulmate. Your goal is to find that person. The problem is the world's population. 
Now, they narrowed that down song because they said, okay, if it's, assuming it's heterosexual. I know it's an assumption today, but assuming it's heterosexual. And we're also going to narrow the age gap. Like, so, like, you're not born and your soulmate, you're 80, and, like, that person is, like, five. Like, that's not going to work, right? So, so if you're near in ages, so what that did is that shrunk the world population down to a manageable size of 500 million. Okay, so now your goal is to find your soulmate among 500 million people on the face of the globe. They did another study. They found that the average person makes eye contact during their lifetime with 50,000 people, which gives us this graphic right here. Your chance of finding your soulmate is 1 in 10,000. That is not a good system. That's not a good system. And let me tell you why it's also a problem. It's because it sets up unreal expectations. What it says is you are looking for the perfect person that completes you, that meets all your needs, that is a great fit for you. The problem is you end up married to a very flawed human, just like you. And then you figure out, wait a minute, this doesn't feel like a soulmate. This feels like, you know what I did? Uh, I missed. I didn't marry my soulmate. My soulmate's still out there. So you divorce and you remarry and you repeat. Divorce, marry, repeat. Looking for your soulmate. Instead, instead of that, here's how marriage is supposed to work. Two very flawed human beings get married and they stick. They're in it to win it. Your, your partners, you grow together, you figure it out together. Whether you do arranged marriage or not, that's the way it's supposed to be. Here's what I'm saying. Marriage is more about commitment than compatibility. In fact, that's how a holy God ended up in a relationship with you. Do you think we're compatible with God? Us? Messed up people? And that holy, no, we're not compatible. But he committed. He's in covenant with us. It's about commitment, not compatibility. And so what I'm saying to you is this. Soulmates are not found. They are made. They're made over time. So if you're looking for the perfect fit, you're off course. But you do need to look for a good fit, right? So let's talk about that. Next point in who to date is needs to be a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're a disciple, if you're a follower of Christ, the other person should be a believer. Now, again, I don't have a passage on dating, but we have passages on marriage. And you date who you marry because you will marry who you date. And if you date unbelievers, you will find yourself married to an unbeliever. Okay? And that is a problem. We looked at 1 Corinthians 7 last week. In verse 39, that's where Paul says, you are free to marry, quote, only in the Lord, unquote. You're free to marry, but as a believer, only another believer. Why? Because you think you're going to drag that person up spiritually? Look, 99 times out of 100, they drag you down. Or at least they make it very difficult for you to live out your faith. And so do not think, yeah, I know one exception. Don't play the exception. The exception's an exception. Right? Play the odds. Play the scriptures for crying out loud. Go with that. In fact, speaking of the scriptures, I'll give you one here. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? There are some people in our congregation 
who are believers in Christ and married to a non-Christian, and they know what I'm about to speak. It's tough. What it's saying there is you're, being, you're yoked, which means you are irrevocably linked together. You are bound together. It's like handcuffs, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring one of you up here, right? And I'm going to handcuff you, and I'm going to bring up a corpse, a dead body. And I'm going to handcuff you to a dead body for life. You must now go through life with a dead body. How's that going to work? Is that going to be a good plan? It's a bad idea, right? When you are in Christ, you are spiritually alive. When you're not in Christ, you're spiritually dead. You are handcuffing your life to somebody who is dead. That is not a good plan. Furthermore, wait a minute, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, how in the world were you attracted to a dead person? How'd that happen? Here's how I think that happens. Because even if we say, okay, I get it, Pastor. I can only date and then marry another Christian. I get that, okay? What we do then is we get this checkbox. And we say, oh, you know what? I saw her at an Easter service once. Check. You see that? And we made it this little easy checkbox. Meanwhile, I have a whole list that is according to the pattern of the world. That, uh, non, uh, other non-Christians, they're, they're, they're doing this same thing. Is she hot? Do I have fun with her? Do we have similar hobbies? Do I like talking with her? See, it's a pattern of the world, a whole list, and I've got this little Christian checkbox. What I want to suggest is those should swap places. There should still be a checkbox. Look, let's be real. You want to be physically attracted? Yes, that's, that's there. Let that be a checkbox by priority. Let the Christian checkbox become a list. And so what you're going to ask is, does she love the Lord her God with all her heart, with all her soul, with all her mind? Does, is he growing in his relationship with Christ? Is she in Christian community? Does he love the word of God? Does she give? Does he serve? You're looking for more than a checkbox. You're looking for a list. You're not looking for somebody walking with Christ. You're looking for somebody running with Christ. You're looking not just for somebody who's an intellectual believer, but somebody who is a pursuer of God. That's what you're looking for. I told you last week that you want to leverage your singlehood so that you can go advance the kingdom of God. We say, no, grow, go. Go advance the kingdom of God. So you use your singlehood. You're out in the field doing that, and you're looking around. Who's doing that with me? There's your field. You see, that's what you're looking for. Now, let me give you some practicals here. Ladies, first let me speak to you. Quit looking for the bad boy. Right? You like the bad boy? Uh-huh. He's fine. He's edgy. He stopped for a stop. Why in the world has our culture enthroned the idea of girls being in, interested in bad boys? Do you not know that bad boys become bad men? They become bad husbands. They become bad fathers. Why do you want to marry a, a bad boy? That does not make sense. Men and women alike, look, if you want to meet and marry a prince or a princess then you should look in the castle. If you're looking in the pubs and the brothels, then you will likely find yourself meeting, dating, and marrying somebody who is decidedly less than a prince or a princess. Doesn't that just make sense? Must be a believer. Now, let me balance that a little bit. Uh, I want to say, the next point is this, and who is to have realistic expectations. Because what you're looking for is a unicorn, right? This is some mythical creature that doesn't exist, right? You've got these wild... Okay, so I'm going to come out of the closet today. 
I, I, uh, <laughs> listen to me. I watch This Is Us. I watch This Is Us. So here's the thing. At first I ridiculed it. Then I realized that that show has a grip on my wife's heart. And as a lover of Shannon, I had to understand what that was all about. So at first I started watching it for her. Turns out I like the show. <laughs> it's a good show. Let me tell you why. Because Mandy Moore is gorgeous. That woman is fine. They, 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 tr- they try to put wrinkles and bags and make her, make her look old. She still looks hot. And then she sings, oh, my goodness, like an angel. And so what, what I'm down, now doing is I'm looking at a fictitious woman, one that's not actually real. It's not a normal woman. That's not an average woman. Actually, when she, before she goes on screen, she has a beehive of helpers around her doing hair and makeup and clothes. And all. That's a fiction That's a unicorn. And then I, as a Christian man, I assume that I will marry a Christian man anymore. I assume I deserve a Christian supermodel. Couple thoughts. Number one, dudes, have you looked in the mirror lately? (laughs) What the heck gives you that expectation, right? But then secondly, you got to realize that is not a normal, real woman, right? That is a fiction. That is a unicorn. Now, ladies, you are saying, amen, pastor, preach it. (laughs) But I'm coming for you, right? Because here's the thing. You expect that you will date and marry a Jack or a Randall or a Toby. Not Kevin. He's hot, but he's a hot mess, right? Nobody wants to marry that. I get that. But you assume that your man should be like, you know what that is? That is emotional pornography. You are comparing real men to a fictitious standard. They are not real men. Don't tell my wife. She thinks it's real. Okay? <laughs> like, but but th- that's fiction. And you are comparing real people to fiction. You don't like it when the men do that to you, right? Don't do it to them. Here's the thing. Men and women alike, you will date and marry an imperfect person like yourself. Flaws, warts, baggage. All that will be involved. So it's not about finding the perfect person. It is about finding a mutually flawed sinner who is also pursuing a perfect Savior. That's what it's about. Now, on the other hand, let me balance that for just a moment. Don't talk yourself into marriage. Like if you're dating somebody and it's like, this is a train wreck, get out. Get out. Why? you got to get out now. Once you get married, once you cross that altar, now you're in a covenant and you can't get out. You can't quit then. Now is when you can quit. And so do not talk yourself into marrying somebody who is less. Get out now. Now you're like, dude, you just confused me. <laughs> like, which is it? Let me, let me give you a litmus test. If you are dating somebody and you are saying, I want to serve this person for the rest of my life, We make it practical. One year into marriage, she becomes a quadriplegic. And you are saying, if that's the case, I want to change her diapers for the rest of our lives together. I don't want anyone else doing that. That's my job. Put a ring on it. That's who you want right there. Notice then you're you're signing up to serve and give. That's the point. All right, I just made it heavy. So I'll lighten it up a little bit. Uh, a few kid statements on, on love. One, one guy was asked about the role of beauty in love. And so seven-year-old Brian said this, it isn't always just how you look. Look at me. I'm handsome like anything, and I haven't gotten married yet. 
Be patient, you handsome little devil. All right? What about kissing? About kissing. So a dude named Carrie, seven years old, he said, yesterday I kissed a girl in a private place. We were behind a tree. <laughs> yeah, wait, you, never mind. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> Let it go. How about surefire ways to get somebody to fall in love with you? Nine-year-old Camille said, shake your hips and hope for the best. <laughs> She's nine. She's nine. All right, now listen. How should we date? If you have been right now given the gift of singlehood, right now you are called to singlehood, and yet you're meeting that guy or that girl, and you're like, dang, I think I want to take the next step. Is it just shake your hips and hope for the best? <laughs> no. Number one, I want you to work on yourself. Work on yourself. Learn to love God with every fiber of who you are. Learn to approach everyone in your life, including that person, just to love and give and serve. Be fulfilled in Christ. Be complete in Christ. Grow there. Look, what if your life were more about becoming the right person than it is about finding the right person? What if it were about being Mr. or Miss Right instead of finding Mr. or Miss Right? Work on yourself. And secondly, we'll spend a good bit of time here. How to date with clarity and courage. And now, men, I'm going to speak to you for just a bit. Now, let me tell you why. Because our church, as we look in the scriptures, we see what it says clearly. We find male headship, male leadership in the home and in the church. I'm not naive. I understand that that is not in vogue in our culture. But here's the thing. Whenever our culture and our scriptures disagree, our God wins that argument every time at Redemption Chapel. No apology, no hesitation. And we see in the scriptures male headship in the home and the church. So we don't back off from it. But we also want to understand it appropriately. And so for a passage, for example, like Ephesians 5, where Paul is speaking about marriage, and, and, and God in his word says that, that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, who gave himself up for her. So what's it mean that Christ is our head and our leader? That means he died for us. He laid down his life for us. So men, if you want to know what it means for you to be the head, the leader, it means you die. You lay down your life in service to your family. That's what it means. And so guys, I am calling you out today that you would be the one in dating, that you would initiate, that you would pursue, that you would take a risk, that you would communicate with clarity and with courage. What you want to do is find a worthy woman. You are interested in her. You want to go out with her romantically. Tell her that. Usually what you say is, hey, you want to hang out sometime. She doesn't know what that means. She's left going, what? I don't know what that was, right? You want to say, look, uh, I think you're the cat's meow. You put it in your own words, okay, right? I get that I'm old, right? So you put it, but I think you're the business and I am interested in you. I want to go out with you. Will you go out to dinner with me next weekend? Boom. That's where you want to go. Now, it is terrifying to do that, right? I remember when I was interested in Shannon, I had to tell another dude, he had to keep me accountable, that I would ask her out like that within a week's time. Seven days later, right? like I just put it off, put it off, put it off. And I, I did, I stepped up like that. You need to man up. You need to stick your neck out and take a risk. You need to be clear. You need to be courageous. You know why you can do this, men? 
You know why? Because you love God and love people. Because you love God, you are already accepted in Christ. You are fulfilled in Christ. You are completing Christ. What does she have to give you? If she rejects you, you're fine. You can take that because Christ accepted you. You're good. You love God with every fiber of your being. And you love that sister in Christ. You want to affirm her and bless her. That's your goal right there. So you can do it. So what I'm suggesting then is a new definition of success when you ask a woman out. What your, your goal is to honor God. To ask out a worthy sister in Christ. That's your goal. Your, your goal is to communicate with clarity. Your goal is to act with courage. Your goal is to affirm a sister. And if she says yes or no, it doesn't matter. She's going to be flattered and blessed. You've been successful before you've even heard her answer. And then you're just going to hear the answer of God through her lips, and you're going to be totally cool with that. That's success. Now, my son has done this. Uh, he asked a girl out. He came back uh, that evening. We sat around the fire, and I said, tell me about it. How'd it go? He explained it to me, and oh, my goodness, I was so proud of him. He was so successful. He nailed it. He knocked it out of the park, and he got rejected. But he was successful. And so you know what he said? Next. <laughs> Why? Because what? as a dude, he developed as a man. He learned you can take rejection and be fine because he, he's got God and he's looking to bless and he was successful. We move on. We move on. You can do that, guys. You can do that. Now, ladies, I'm coming for you. I need you to act with clarity and courage as well. So when the guy asks you out and you are not interested, do not tell him you're busy this weekend. Because then he will ask you for next weekend. And now you need to tell him you're busy for life. Okay? Or, or you're going to say, well, I'm just dating Jesus right now. Until you meet another guy and his name isn't Jesus. And you start dating him, right? He's like, don't do that. You need, it's scary, I get it, but you need to be clear. You need to say to him, wow, I am so flattered by that. That is so infirming and encouraging, thank you. But I'm not interested in you in that way, so I'm gonna have to say no, thanks. Oh, that's scary, right? But you need to be clear and you need to be courageous either way, all right? One other thing about how to date. We're gonna talk about pace. Pace yourself. Do not sprint in a marathon, okay? We have a tendency today to be so codependent so fast. And so I want you to understand what it is in our culture that communicates commitment. Look at this list. Gifts, words, time, including electronic time, phone or when your thumbs are moving, right? Prayer, dreams and plans, and then, of course, touch, this is the physical or the sexual area. So, let's start at the end, shall we? <laughs> now I get to give you a sex talk. This is so awkward. Awesome. Okay. Let me be honest with you. Uh, when you are dating, you do not have very many cards to play prior to marriage unless you go into sin. You only have a few cards, okay? And the problem is we don't pace ourselves. So what we do is we play all our cards in two weeks, then you think you're going to shift into neutral and coast for two years? Doesn't happen, does it? That's the problem. We need to pace ourselves. And guys, I'm calling you out to lead in that, okay? Like you lead in purity. You lead in holiness. You lead in righteousness. Quit putting it on her to be the governor where you're pushing and pushing and she has to say no. You lead in that. 
You lead. Why? Because dudes, listen. (laughs) The odds are you are not dating the person that will become your spouse. I'm sorry to bust your bubble, okay? I know you feel so, you don't know, Pastor, this is the one. Okay, listen, the odds are, overwhelming odds, you are dating the person that will not be your spouse, which means I want you to feel free to do physically what you will do with another man's wife. I want you to feel free to do physically what your future wife, who's currently dating another dude, what you're cool with them doing. I want you also to realize that that is God's daughter that you're taking out. And by the way, he goes on every date with you. (laughs) And he never looks away. I want you to realize that 1 Timothy 5 says that that is your sister. And this ain't West Virginia. I'm sorry, too far, way too far. So, all right. You have to pace yourself. What I want you to do is I want you to love God. I want you to love your sister in Christ. And if you're having a hard time keeping it clean, go to Starbucks. Nobody gets freaky at Starbucks. Okay, like if you just think and be safe, okay, be smart. Now, here's the thing though. It's not all about touch. That's only the last one on the list. There's a whole list there that we've got to pace ourselves with. Because right? what we do is we blow through everything we've got within two weeks, two months, and, and we're not near married. Okay? So, for example, gifts. Dude, you buy her a dozen roses within two months. You've left yourself nowhere to go. <laughs> right? You, there's no pace there. Okay? You understand? Or, or words. You've used the L word three months in. You only want to say I love you to one woman. To one dude, right? And, and so be careful with your words. Pace yourself there. And I would say even your words on social media. Like I'm watching people's posts and I'm like, have you been married 25? No, you've been dating two weeks. Okay. Like, <laughs> like easy up there, right? Pace yourself. What about time together? You go so codependent so quick, you cut off all your other relationships. Pace yourself. What about prayer? Prayer is intimate. Yes, it's spiritual, but it's also very intimate. Be careful. And then dreams and plans. You're on your third date and you're choosing names for your kids. Stop. Like, pace yourself, okay? Otherwise, what will happen is you will inject a false sense of intimacy and you will get blinders and you will end up dating somebody you shouldn't be dating, but you can't see it anymore. You're blind. Don't do that. Don't do that. All right. Enough of all that. Here's where I want to end. It is all about love God Love people. If you're married or single, you're dating or not, divorced, widowed, it is all about love God and love people. And if if we keep those right in the center of our lives where they should be, then life is going to go well, including dating. All right? Let me pray. Father, if that's true, and according to your word through Christ, yeah, absolutely, that's true then we want to love you with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our mind. Absolutely we do. And we, we do, and yet we don't, Lord. We, we love you. We ask you to help us love you more, that you would be our everything. You would be in me, around me. You would surround me with your presence, your love. You would be everything to me. Do that in our lives, Father God. And then put us in a posture of strength as we go into this world with any human relationship and most particularly dating, that we would approach it bringing honor and glory to you, being fulfilled in you, and then just giving and loving another 
in investigating a potential spouse. Lead us there, Lord, please. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.